to haunt you. This is no ordinary darkness. That's what I want you to see. This, this was a darkness that could, you could feel. A darkness that pressed in on your very soul. And once again, Pharaoh attempts to negotiate and it fails miserably. And, and if you notice, in each one of these negotiations, Pharaoh concedes a little bit more. But again, God says, I, I demand complete and utter full surrender. We're not going to let any of the animals go. We don't know what God's going to require of us. And so we're taking them all with us. And this enrages Pharaoh. At this point, he threatens Moses. He says, if I see you again, you're dead. And almost, I love Moses' response here. And I kind of imagine this kind of ominous voice coming out of Moses as he says, as you say, I won't see you again. Dum, dum, dum. What I want us to focus in on, though, today, more than anything, is the reality that this darkness is symbolic for something much deeper. You see, throughout Scripture, darkness is a symbol of sin and of judgment and of ignorance. Let me just show or share with you a, a few Scriptures. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, when, when Hannah uh, brings her son Samuel to Eli the, the prophet to dedicate him to the Lord, and she's praising God, she says this. She says, he will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. After God gives the Israelites the law through Moses, he warns them, and he, he says, if you don't follow all of, all of these laws, I'm going to bring down on you all of these curses. And he lists off all of these curses in Deuteronomy 28. And many of them mirror what they're seeing in Egypt right now. But he says this in chapter 28, verse 28, the Lord will strike you with a madness and a blindness and confu confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in the darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. Sounds a lot like what's going on here in this ninth plague. Jesus often warned that those who rejected him would be cast out and thrown into the outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus was approached by the mob that had come to arrest him, he says to them, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Often when we think about hell, we think of this kind of unquenching fire, but most often in scripture, hell is actually described as a place of thick darkness. The demons beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. Jude, describing the wicked, he said this, he said, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jesus describes his return in the day of judgment. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heaven, heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In Revelation, very, very, very much like this, there's a prediction of judgment through darkness. John describes Armageddon. He says, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores 
they did not repent of their deeds. And so this ninth plague, it symbolizes not just a physical darkness that was happening, but this deeper, the spiritual darkness, the darkness that really spread from Pharaoh's own heart, his hardened, his darkened heart. But the reality is Pharaoh is not the only one with a hardened heart, a darkened heart. Listen to how Scripture describes those that are outside of Christ. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Sounds like a description of Pharaoh, doesn't it? That's describing anyone that's outside of Christ. Romans 11.10, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. 2 Corinthians 4.4, in their case, the God of this world was blinded or has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of of Christ, who is the image of God. John 3, 19 and 20, Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And so here, outside of Christ, what we're reading here is outside of Christ, not only is there darkness, there's a love for the darkness. Not only are unbelievers blind, they hate the light. Sin is so hideous that it must surround itself with darkness. And I want us to see this because this is how hopeless we are apart from Christ. Outside of Christ, we're, we're not just stuck there in the darkness. We love the darkness. We're not just lost. We're completely and utterly blind and we hate the light. We need Christ to do a miracle in us, which brings us to look now at the darkness that Jesus willingly went through to save us. Paul said in Galatians 3.13, he compared it to a curse. In fact, he, said, he doesn't say that Christ was cursed. He says he became a curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And I don't even know what that means, but it can't be good. For it was written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. As Jesus approached his crucifixion, he bleeds, he, he sweats blood as he peers into the cup of God's wrath. Describing the scene on the cross, Matthew writes this, he says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a, that's a quote from Psalm 22. I don't know if you knew that. Psalm 22 is a, it's a, it's a psalm written by David, and it describes one of the lowest moments of David's life, but this is also a foretaste of what Christ would experience on the cross. And I don't think we can fully wrap our minds around what Christ is going through in this moment. But in Psalm 22, we do see David describing his feelings in very graphic terms. I would encourage you to turn there. In Psalm 22, and I'm going to skip through this a little bit and share some of the highlights. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But listen to how David describes what he's going through. 
And keep this in mind, this is also what Christ is going through at a much deeper level. David writes, why, and he's talking to God, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. And all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax. It, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, broken pottery. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. And they stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And I think this psalm really only gives us a small taste of what Jesus went through. When Jesus was on the cross, his his anguish didn't come from the physical, primarily from the physical pain that he was experiencing. He doesn't cry out, my body, my body, or or, my head, my head, why does it hurt so bad? His anguish doesn't primarily come from the emotional or the psychological pain of his friends rejecting him. He doesn't cry out, my friends, my friends, where are you? His anguish came from a much deeper spiritual pain and darkness that he was experiencing. Think about it. If you've been rejected by a friend, that hurts. I mean, the the anguish is real. But if you get rejected by, like, say, a spouse, I mean, that's beyond awful. They, They say that being rejected by somebody that you love deeply is one of the most agonizing things that you can go through as a human being. Now, think about this. The relationship between God the Father and God the Son for all of eternity perfect. There's never, ever been a unity like that before. The love and the adoration that Jesus had towards his Father is unmatched. For all of eternity, they have shared this perfect, loving relationship until this moment on the cross. When Jesus bore the full weight of God's wrath, paying the penalty of all of our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future, in that one moment. I was listening to a sermon this week by Tim Keller, and he pointed out that hell is not a place that is in time and space. Hell is a, it's a spiritual place that is outside of time. And so that means that in this moment, it's not that Jesus can just think, okay, I only have to endure this for a little while. When you sin against an infinite being, there's an infinite consequence in hell. And so... Jesus, being an infinite being, he suffers and he experienced that. He, in, in this moment, it, he's experiencing the 
infinite hell. And, and I don't understand that. I don't think we can completely comprehend what that means. We can't get our mind wrapped around that. But this is why Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing eternal darkness in that moment. No one has ever experienced a darkness that you can feel like this, like Jesus did. And yet, when he speaks the first line of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surely he had that whole psalm in mind. And if you read the rest of the psalm, what you come to realize is that psalm is not primarily about David complaining about how he feels abandoned by God. That psalm is actually about his faith in the character and the good character of God that he's holding on to in the midst of one of the lowest points of his life. Let me just read the end of the psalm. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him who shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the ones who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. That's what Christ is holding on to in this moment. Even in the midst of the darkness, he's feeling abandoned by his Father. He holds on to this hope. Jesus knows and he trusts the character of his Father. Jesus was there at the very beginning of creation. When God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit were there. And what was the first act of creation that they did? They brought light into the darkness. He knows the character of his father. And while the fall has brought a spiritual darkness into our world, God, in his redeeming purposes, has always been about drawing us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, that's the language of salvation, right? We read 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 2, which is quoted often in the New Testament, The people who walked in darkness have, been, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shown. Jesus came to defeat the darkness. And John introduces Jesus in his gospel in chapter 1, he, and he calls Jesus the light. He, he says that Jesus is the true light that shines into the darkness, which gives light to everyone. He says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus was asked, who is the Son of Man? This is how Jesus responded. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He shares the gospel right there. In his first sermon, Jesus quotes Isaiah 42 and he declares that he had come to open the eyes of the blind. And he wasn't simply talking about his healing ministry there. He was talking about opening the spiritual eyes from spiritual blindness. When Jesus commissions Paul on the road to Damascus, he, he tells them that, look, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Why? To open their eyes to see so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
at the transfiguration, we, we get just a glimpse of his deity, right? His godness. And what happens? His face glows, shines like the sun, and his clothes become white as light. Similarly, John, he describes in Revelation, he, he looks at Jesus, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And I love this, New Jerusalem. Revelation 22, right? It's described as a place that has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp, the lamb, by its light, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. For those of us who are in Christ, this is what we have to look forward to. A day in heaven where there is no more spiritual darkness. Jesus, the Lamb of God, shines everywhere. But here we are. And the already not yet. Where we still experience darkness. In fact, this past year, for many of us, the darkness has been overwhelming. But the good news is that even in the midst of the darkness, Jesus never stops shining. Let me say that again. Even in the midst of the darkness, Jesus never stops shining. We may go through seasons where we struggle to perceive his light, but we can still trust that his light is bright as ever. Sometimes I, I really believe that God allows us to experience season of dark, seasons of darkness because they foster in us a greater appreciation and a greater desire, a longing for that light. Not only that, when we go through a season of darkness, it gives an opportunity for our church family to surround us and remind us of the love and the light that we have in Christ. And let me just give you some pastoral advice. And this is something I think that God's really still working in my own heart, teaching me. When you have a friend who is going through a dark season, if you think you can just kind of talk them out of it or reason them out of it, you're going to probably end up pretty frustrated. And I think I've been there numerous times. Because many of you, like me, are fixers. You like to fix things. And our tendency is to think, if, if I can just put the right words together, I can help them see things aren't quite as bad as they think. And we, we think that we can simply reason the darkness away. And un unfortunately, this rarely works. And we end up kind of like Job's counselors where we offer some platitudes that create more despair than hope. So this is what I'm learning. The best thing often to do for them is first and foremost pray consistently for them. Depend on God to do what you cannot do. You can't be the Holy Spirit. And so pray for them often and consistently. Trust God. And secondly, do check in on them. And I know, like, sometimes when our friends are going through dark seasons, it's difficult because it's just hard to be around them, right? But those are the seasons where, as Christians, we're called to really lean into. Don't smother them, okay? <laughs> you can be too close. Uh, but... It is good for us 
to send a simple text sometimes, just reminding them that we, that we care. That can speak volumes. Gentle, consistent encouragement can go a long way. And I'm, another thing I'm learning is to often talk less and listen more in the midst of those situations. And, and when I do talk, rather than giving them an advice on what they should do, simply remind them of what Christ has already done for them. That might be the most important advice you get from me today. <laughs> um, if you're here today and you're going through a dark season, I hope that even this plague of darkness that we've been talking about today is a good reminder about how much we need the light of Christ. Apart from him, we have no hope, we have no light, we have no truth, we have no life. But with him, in him, one day we will get to experience a place where there is no more night. There's no more darkness at all. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. Father, apart from you, we have no hope of light. And so I plead with you that through your spirit, our hearts would be reminded of your light and it would shine brightly that you would remind us of your love, of the darkness that you were willing to go through so that we don't have to experience it. And when we do taste a little bit of that darkness, Lord, I pray in the midst of that you would surround us with friends, other family members from our church that would point us back to you and remind us of what you've already done for us and how you have proven your faithfulness and proven your love. Your love is unmatched. What you were willing to go through us is unmatched. And I pray that today as we sing about that, we would just marvel and we would be amazed and we would walk out of here glowing like Moses because of your glory in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we move into a time of communion, uh, if you're a visitor with us, you're welcome to join this. As long as you're a believer, this is for believers. Uh, this is a time for us to not just go through the motions. This is a time for us to really one, remember what Christ went through us, went through for us on the cross, the darkness that he experienced so that we, didn't have, we don't have to experience that darkness. It's a time for us to confess to the Lord. There's healing in that. This is a time for us just to enjoy God's love and celebrate that. And so... If you've got questions about salvation, maybe you come today and you recognize that your life has been full of darkness, but God is maybe starting to open up your eyes to see that there is hope for you. 
you recognize that you don't have to get your life fixed up before you come to Christ. Thank goodness, because none of us would come to Christ if that were the, the case. But you realize that God has already done everything necessary to save you. You just need to receive it and trust and rest in Christ. God's opening up your eyes to that. I would love to celebrate with you today. If you just need somebody to pray with you or listen to you, I'll be in the back. I'd be more than willing to do that. If you've got questions about anything that we've talked about today, don't leave until you get those questions answered. It's also time for us to give generously, sacrificially, joyfully. If you're a visitor, don't feel obligated, but this is how the mission continues to move forward. So I would encourage you to use this time as, a, as, a, as an offering of sacrifice, not to earn God's justification or righteousness, not, not to earn your own righteous, righteousness, but just to say thank you. This is time to do that. There's boxes up here. There's one in the, in the back. But you come as God is calling you to respond.